I don't know if anybody else finds themselves singing Ed's part. <laughs> but that, I don't know why I naturally go there. I, I don't know. Good job, guys. Hey, so um, happy Father's Day again to dads out there, to my own dad, who's not here, but um, I mean, he's here on earth. He's just not here in Hanford. So um, we've been working through Matthew chapter 6, and, and when, we, when, when I put this t- together, I didn't really think about the 17th being Father's Day. I just said, you know, hey, this is the way Matthew 6 kind of breaks down. So a, a Father's Day sermon would be great on June 17th, but it, it, you know, Matthew 6 broke down the way it did. And so what, what happened, what we've done thus far, well, we've been, we've been working through Jesus's his teaching on spiritual hypocrisy. So we've been, uh, first of all, uh, looking at verse 1 of Matthew 6, which says, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's, he's reminding us of the danger of practicing our right living, our doing the, the things that we do, uh, our acts of righteousness, to be seen by others if that's our motivation, that's our problem. And so we've been, Jesus has been working us through this uh, spiritual hypocrisy. And we've, we've talked about giving. And Jesus said, when you give, not if you give, but when you give. Uh, he, said, he said, give quietly, not obviously. And he said to store treasure in heaven, not store treasure on earth. And then he, he, Jesus taught on prayer. And he reminded us not to pray to be seen and heard by others, but to seek a deeper relationship with God, to, to worship, to confess our sin, to ask Him to meet our needs. And, and He provided a model in, of His own life in front of us, and He even provided a model prayer for us uh, to pray in, in Matthew 6. And so today we turn our attention to the third of the, the righteous acts. We, we've talked about giving, we've talked about praying, and this morning we talk about fasting. So happy Father's Day. Let's talk about, let's learn about fasting. Now, I don't know how many of you have been regular practicers of this idea of fasting. Some of you may have experience with it. I talked to somebody this week and they said that they had never, they've never fasted. Uh, As a Christian, they've never fasted. So I think there's something that we can learn. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you have not often sat in church on Sunday morning and heard a sermon on fasting. It is not a regular topic, not a, a, a one that uh, draws the attention of most preachers. They don't say, you know what, this will draw a crowd. Um, <laughs> I'm going to preach on fasting. And so you probably have not heard many sermons on that. So if nothing else, you can say you've, you've heard a sermon on fasting and you've, hopefully you'll learn something uh, this morning about how we as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, uh, follow His example and His teaching. So let's look at it. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're, gonna, we're going to read beginning at verse 16. We're going to read 16, 17, and 18 of Matthew 6. Here's what it says. This is Jesus talking. When you fast, notice a theme? 
We talked about when you give. We talked about when you pray. Jesus says, when you fast. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, if you've been paying attention and if you've been here the last three weeks, you know that this, this structure that Jesus is providing for teaching has been very similar each week. When, not if. And when you do it, don't do it to be seen by others, but do it so that your Father in heaven will see what you're, what's happening in your heart. It, it became, it's become this thing, we don't do it obviously, we don't do it to be seen by others, we do it because we are trying to make a deeper, a more genuine, sincere connection with God. And so there are some tools, some ways that Jesus is saying, this is how this happens. And fasting is one of those things. So let's look real quickly at a definition for fasting. Fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for a period of time for spiritual purposes. Voluntary abstinence from food for a period of time for for spiritual purposes. Now, obviously Jesus is teaching here that as followers, his followers, there was an expectation that there would be fasting happening. Other religions practiced, practice fasting. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, etc. all have fasting. So this was not new. This was not new in the New Testament. It was not new in the Old Testament. We'll look at that a little bit. This is not a new concept. Fasting is, is something has, that has had spiritual ramifications not just in Christianity, not just in the Jewish faith, but across different religious practices, there's been fasting. In the law of Moses in the Old Testament, the law made provision for one fast every year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Yom Kippur. So there was one fast that was required in the Old Testament. Now, as time went on, the Jews added different days of remembrance, times of national uh, need there was fasting that was called for. And so there, was, there were days that were added to uh, their practice. But as far as actual required fast, there was one requ- required in the law. Now, Andrew, Andrew Murray says this regarding fasting. He says, fasting helps express, deepens, confirms the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. So fasting is an outward expression of an inner reality, something that is happening within my heart. There's, there's something that God's doing within my heart, and the way to express this, one way to express this, is through the act of fasting. William Secker says this, By fasting... Listen carefully to this. By fasting, the body learns to obey the soul. By praying, the soul learns to command the body. And so this reminds us in fasting that there is a connection, that God created us in such a way that there's a connection between our physical reality and our spiritual reality. These are not 
We, we are not just physical beings. We are not just spiritual beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. And so when we think about the interrelation of these, there are times where they intersect one another. And there are things that we do in our physical selves that have impact in our spiritual selves. And there's things that are happening in my spiritual body, my spiritual part of who I am, that is impacting me physically. And we need to recognize that there's inter an interconnection here. And so this fasting is a reminder of this. And so this is, fasting allows us to, to get a better handle on my, my spiritual self. It prepares me for the battle that maybe I'm engaging against sin and against evil in my life. And fasting helps strengthen and prepare me to engage in this battle. It's within fasting that we express maybe even some discontent or unhappiness with my own sinful self. And so I approach God with a fast in order to show that. We'll talk about this in a second. So there are, there are different kinds of fasts that we see circulating around. There are kind of fad things that, that pop up. There's, there's books related to this. There's a thing called the Daniel fast. There's people that say, hey, I'm going to fast from social media or from my computer or from television. There may be uh, somebody that say, hey, I'm going to fast from sweets, no sweets, for a particular period of time. And I want us to be careful about that. And I'm not suggesting those things are not good and that God might call you to take a break from media or to take a break from sweets or to, to engage in a, uh, some uh, like the Daniel fast. But let me just be very clear about this, at least in my opinion. Uh, fasting is not dieting. Uh, fasting is not undertaken for any particular primarily physical reason. And so if we are saying, hey, I, I want to feel better physically, so I'm going to fast, we're, we're, we are, we're getting ourselves into a bad priority at that point. Fasting is something that I undertake for spiritual purposes. And so we want to be careful about that. And this is something that, that God brings into our life, that he, he impresses upon us. So let's look at this real quick. There, there is hypocritical fasting, isn't there? Yes, there is hypocritical fasting. Jesus talks about it, but before Jesus even mentioned it, I want to go to the prophet Isaiah. So if you want to hold your spot there in Matthew 6 and then go back into the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 58. So Isaiah was one of God's prophets to the Hebrew nation. He had something to say about fasting and the way that the Jews were undertaking it. And I want us to understand that this is nothing new. So in Isaiah 58, beginning at verse 1, the prophet says this, Shout aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to, uh, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask for me just decisions and, seek eager, and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not heard, or you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and exploit all your workers. 
Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So even in the Old Testament, people were saying, hey, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're fasting. We're, we, we want to know you, God. We want to be connected with you. And God's saying, listen, if it's not changing you fundamentally who you are in your heart, if it's not changing how you treat other people and how you act with the world, if it's not uh, genuinely uh, showing in your life, then that's not the kind of fast that I'm looking for. And then we get into the New Testament and, and Jesus speaks to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 6. And the Pharisees bear the brunt of Jesus. Jesus is teaching at many places, but he basically reminds the Pharisees, hey, you guys have missed the point altogether. At this point in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were fasting twice a week. So they've gone from one required fast a year to now showing their righteousness by fasting twice a week and letting people know about it. And so you can see how far out of whack this had become for them and it's very very much the case with us maybe not with fasting but with our acts of righteousness that we do all the right things that we're supposed to do and yet our hearts are far many times far from God and that's what was true with the Pharisees so let's look at this idea of biblical fasting Now, here's what I believe. I believe fasting should be a part of the Christian's life. Jesus says, when you fast. And so if you're here this morning, and let me just, let me just in case you're worried about what's going to happen in about 15 minutes when we get to the end, I'm not going to ask you to fast today. Okay? No, no, no guilt trip. N not asking you to, to do anything this next week other than to think about what you hear this morning. So I believe fasting is a practice that as Christians we should practice. However, I, it, it seems to me that the nature of this is different than, say, giving and prayer. We've talked about giving and we've talked about prayer. And uh, Jesus and the other biblical writers, New Testament in particular, speak often and are quite clear on prayer and on giving, aren't they? They're not just descriptive, but they're prescriptive. Jesus says, hey, this is how you should pray. He says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. So he doesn't just describe people that pray, or he doesn't just say it's a good idea, but he actually gives a model for how to pray. And when we think about giving, Jesus says, when you give, not if you give, but when you give. And then if you read through the New Testament, Paul becomes very clear on how. He gives some prescribed ways that we should give. But when we get to fasting, we, we've got them saying, Jesus saying very similar words, when you fast, but then we don't get any kind of prescriptive like should be the first Sunday of the month or it should be four times a year. There's, it's just described for us that it happened. And so in, in that way, I see it distinct from giving and from prayer. Now, having said that, we can look at the Bible and we can see that it happened. We know that Jesus fasted. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, fasted for 40 days. He went 40 days with no food. This is before he began his uh, public ministry there in Matthew chapter 4. 
We can also say that Jesus expected his, that his followers would fast. In Matthew 6, we just read it. He says, when you fast. But there is a, an interesting verse in Matthew chapter 9. So hold your spot there in Matthew 6. And let's go over to Matthew chapter 9. And look at verses 14 and 15. Because there was a problem that popped up when Jesus was in his ministry. He was approached by some other folks and said, hey, you know, John, John the Baptist, his disciples fast. And we know that the, the Jews fast, but, but Jesus, your followers, they don't fast. So in Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 14, then John's, John's disciples came to him and asked, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So in essence, what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, the Messiah is here among them. I, the bridegroom is here. This is time for feasting and celebrating. This is not a time for fasting. But a time will come when the bridegroom will not be there. Then they will fast. And so we know that Jesus ascended to heaven uh, after his uh, resurrection. And so we are in a time where I believe fasting is appropriate as we wait, as we anticipate the return of Christ. So it is a biblical concept. Here's what else I know from the Bible. Fasting must always, forever, center on seeking Jesus, seeking God. It's not about me. It's not about somebody else. We will talk about this idea of fasting and lifting somebody else to God in prayer. But it is about, first and foremost and only, about seeking God in a deeper way. It's always centered on God. And fasting in the Bible almost always is brought about by a significant life or national event or circumstance. If you look through the Old and New Testament, anytime fasting comes up, it's always related to some significant life event or national event or distress. You never see hey, let's just fast. Even Yom Kippur, the required fast, was for the Day of Atonement. Spiritual purposes, seeking God. Always seeking God. Always brought about by significant life decision or event. So in this sense, fasting is not prescribed to uh, do something in our life. It is a response to what is happening in my life. I think it's important that we recognize this. That fasting is not something that I do to try to manipulate God or try to manipulate a circumstance, but it's a response to God's work in my life. It's a response to what's happening in my life. So, there's hypocritical fasting, there's biblical fasting, and then we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, what's the purpose then? I, I'm on board, I, I'm, I'm feeling like, hey, I've never fasted before, or I, I've done it, but it's been a while, or I, I've done it, but I don't really know why. I just did it because a group of people were doing it. So let's look at the purpose. First thing we want to say is uh, the purpose of fasting is uh, fasting out of repentance or brokenness. We know that when Jonah, the prophet Jonah, went to Nineveh and preached to Nineveh, the whole city of Nineveh fasted 
because of their sin. They fasted out of repentance. If you look at Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, you might want to write that down. You don't have to look it up. But Joel 2, 12 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Repentance drove people to fasting. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nehemiah is dealing with the people returning to Jerusalem. Chapter 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Sackcloth and dust on my heads. That's mourning, that's brokenness, that's repentance. So the first purpose is, I am broken. I'm coming to God in repentance. I, I have sin in my life that that I need to get right with God, and it's driving me to a time of fasting. It's an outward expression of an inward reality, of a broken heart. It's, it's an, is there's some urgency. I've got to get this taken care of. I've got to deal with this between me and God. And I'm, you're seeking God and His grace. And in the Old Testament, that almost is presupposed. When we look at the fast in the Old Testament, almost always it's driven by this mourning this, or this repentance and this brokenness before God. Second big idea is mourning. Nehemiah, again, in chapter 1, he's heard about Jerusalem being in ruins. It's, it's been torn apart. And he travels to Jerusalem. And, and you may recall the story that he travels around Jerusalem, looks at how the the state of the city and it's in disrepair. And in verse 4 of chapter 1, Nehemiah says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So again, mourning, a broken heart, sadness, drove Nehemiah to fast. Consecration. Acts chapter 13, the church, the early church practiced fasting. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and verse 3, says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and set them off. So this idea of consecrating ourselves and somebody else to the Lord is another purpose, another reason behind fasting in our life. Seeking God with a, with a special petition. Esther, in Esther chapter 4, says to the Jews in exile, fast for me. I'm getting ready to go talk to the king. Please fast for me. Three days. They fasted for Esther. In Acts chapter 14, we see the church fasting. You can fast for yourself. Jesus, obviously in Matthew chapter 4, was preparing for his public ministry. There may be a major life decision or a major circumstance in your life, and you're needing God's direction, and you're needing to hear from God. And so we take on a fast. The Apostle Paul, after his encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9, immediately went away for three days and fasted. 
So while we're not seeing a, a, a prescriptive, hey, this is how and when to fast, it is definitely giving us a framework in which fasting happened. And so just additionally in this, this whole idea, fasting is always, always connected with prayer. It's, it's part of the framework that the fast happens, is that I am seeking God within the fast. And then I would also say for us as Christians that our fast should draw us, drive us to Scripture, drive us to the Word of God, that as we fast, we are seeking God in His Word. If we are expecting the fast to do something miraculous, some kind of miracle in me, that it's going to somehow inject righteousness into my life, that's not what fasting is intended to do. Fasting is driving us towards God and towards His Word. The Word of God is what changes our life. The Spirit of God is what changes our life. It's not the fast that is going to change your life. It's as I humble myself and as I seek God with all that I am, giving up my basic needs so that I can focus on God, that God uses His Word, that God uses His Spirit to change us. In fact, those that, are, that have practiced this often in their life would say that the urgency, the issue that's driving them to fast takes front and center, and they're not even, they're not even thinking about the fast itself. The urgency is so driving their life, they need God so desperately that the fast becomes a secondary thing. So when we think about uh, fasting, it's this deeper connection, this focus on God, the listening and seeking God and an answer for my life, we've got to, we've, that's got to be primary. But once we've recognized that that's what it's about, and once we've got that properly focused, there are secondary benefits. There are things that happen in our life as a result of this. And this is where it gets uh, challenging. I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about secondary benefits is that we find out very quickly what controls us. Very quickly. If you've ever undertaken this in your own life, you, you recognize this to be a fact. In fact, here's my concern about fasting from television versus fasting from food. I think sometimes people would say, well, it's much easier to turn off the TV than it is to keep the refrigerator closed. And so I'm just going to fast from TV. I really believe that fasting, as it was biblically modeled for us and as God established it in the life of the Jewish nation, is because food is a symbol of what sustains me. And my willingness to, because I can live the rest of my life and not ever turn on the television or look at the internet or play a video game or anything like that. But I can go about 40 days without food and then I'm toast. So the idea of me being willing to set that aside is symbolic of this is what sustains me physically, but I'm setting that aside, God, so that you can sustain me spiritually. So we find out very quickly when we take on a fast, what controls me? Am I controlling my body or does my body control me? Do I eat because I'm hungry or do I eat because my body's telling me you know, you get a little rumbling in your stomach, it must be time to eat. So I'm used to eating, you know, three meals a day with five snacks in between. 
And, you know, so, so to go a day or even skip a meal sometimes becomes problematic. So we find out very quickly what controls us. We also find out what we're covering up in our life. Anger, jealousy, fear. These things will begin to surface as we fast. We'll be, it will become very clear the issues that I've been covering up in my life as I bear myself before God. Fasting keeps my life in balance. My human desires, my human cravings sometimes become like a river that's just overflowing its banks and it just kind of goes wherever. Wherever my desires take me, whatever I feel like is a need, I just go after it. And, and fasting reminds me that my life needs to be in balance. I need to keep my life balanced before God. And, and folks have also talked about the fact that as they fast, they feel like their prayers become more effective, that they become more sensitive to God's word, God's speaking in their life. These are all secondary benefits to me laying myself before God and saying, God, I want you to speak to me. I wanna, I'm, I'm setting aside food. I'm setting aside all these distractions so that I can focus on you. So that's what it's about. And so I want to finish this morning by saying, okay, how should we approach this then? Because the, the danger can be, well, uh, you should all go fast this week. And I think that's what's created the problem that we have, that we, uh, we fast and, and maybe we've done it for the wrong reasons. And so as a result, when we've undertaken a fast, it's been very frustrating. It's been put on us from outside rather than something that was really God-driven within us. And so because I was doing it, because it was pushed upon me from the outside, it's very frustrating because I don't get the results that, I'm th that I think I'm supposed to get from fasting. So here's, here's what I would suggest. John Broadus, who was a commentator in the 1800s, he said this about fasting. Fasting is right only when your condition makes it natural. In a time of joy, fasting would be unnatural. You're overwhelmed with a difficult family relationship. I'm sorry. And it, let me start again. Fasting would, not, would be unnatural and could not be expressed as a genuine feeling. But persons who are in great distress are naturally inclined to abstain from eating. Fasting can deepen those spiritual impulses towards worship and devout meditation. So for you, maybe there is a life circumstance. Maybe you're grieving a loved one. Maybe you have a broken relationship or a relationship that's in trouble. Maybe there's an illness or a burden. Or maybe there's a major life decision that is in front of you. And you're desperately needing God's guidance. This would be the opportunity, the time to undertake a fast. So Jesus says, when you fast. So I'm going to say this. When you decide to fast, when God puts it upon your heart that it's time for you to fast, I want to suggest some things for you to think about. Because we, we don't want to get focused on the fast itself. We don't want to get focused on any other reality, any other expectation. So I want to encourage you, when God puts this on your heart that you'd be thoughtful 
that you'd be realistic. If you've never fasted before to say, hey, I'm going to undertake a three-day or seven-day fast, probably is not realistic. It might be more realistic for you to miss a meal, miss a couple of meals, and there are resources that are available to help you work through this. But I want you to be realistic. And you might seek guidance from somebody who you know has practiced fasting in their own life. But more than anything, it's when God puts this on your heart to do, I want you to do it. Don't make excuses. Don't try to pass it off and say, I'll do it later. If God puts it on your heart, you need to respond in obedience. And as you fast, that you're, you're meditating on the reality of who God is in your life and that you're thanking God for his salvation. And, and you might even be fasting on behalf of somebody that needs to come to faith in Jesus. And so you're going before God for this person. That you're seeking to, to become connected with God in a, in a more intimate way. And that you recognize that because of your relationship with Jesus, nothing can separate you from God. And then you, you have a deep connection with him. So let me remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 15. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. As people of faith, we wait in, in anticipation for the day of Jesus' return. He's coming. He's coming again. And we anticipate that in faith. But as we do, there will be times as he leads where we need to respond with fasting. And then the second thing I would say is, if you don't have that hope this morning, that, that recognition that Jesus is returning one day and, you're, and you have not put your faith your confidence, your hope in the person of Jesus, that's where it starts. That as we come to faith in Jesus, as he changes our heart and life, the fasting, set that aside. You've got to get your relationship with God straight first. And more than anything else, that's our hope for you today, is that you would have that relationship with Jesus. So let me pray for us. God, we, we recognize that we are not as a church at least, this has not been front and center in what we do. We may have dabbled in it. We may even as individuals uh, participated in fasts in the past. And, 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 and we know, God, it's important. We know that more than anything else, we need to hear from you. It's not about us. It's not about us doing all the right things practicing our righteousness in a way that is off-center. More than anything, God, we need to hear from you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for prayer. We thank you for worship. We thank you for all the tools that you've given us to connect with you. Forgive us, God, if we have set fasting aside because we don't understand it or it seems so too hard or we just don't want to do it. Forgive us for that. And speak into our lives, God, at just the right time that we could, that we can experience this practice in a way that will revolutionize our relationship with you.
And thank God for anyone here this morning that uh, doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would get that straight before anything else. And that they would have the courage to speak with somebody that they, that they maybe came with today or that they know, that they would get answers for their relationship with you. God, we thank you. Thank you that you hear our prayer. Thank you that you respond and you desire a relationship with us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going con- to continue our worship, conclude our service this morning by taking our attention right back to God, to the person of Jesus. Would you stand and let's worship as we sing together. Mm-hmm.